Welcome, everyone, to Lost Man Standing, the podcast where we explore spirituality, ecology, and sex through the lens of the sacred masculine. I am your host and guide, Rainier Wild, taking you on a continuing quest as we explore the manosphere together. <sighs> and let me tell you, the manosphere is growing. It's growing. You know, I remember when... Um, when I was actually a graduate student years ago, and I began to explore um, masculine development and and uh, developmental uh, psychology among men, and I looked into you know who's talking about this, and I got to tell you there were very few current voices. A lot from the the early '90s, the late '80s, and before that quite a few from the late 60s, early 70s. Not many contemporaries. It's exploding now. It really is. Um, I think that's great. Actually, several of you, uh, even who listen to this podcast, have been in contact with me. You've reached out um, and, and have even let me know that you're actually starting recording your own podcasts. How fantastic is that? How amazing is it that, at least in small part, we here at Last Man Standing in our fledgling 11 episodes could help encourage and inspire other men to grow and continue to get the message out. You know, no one has the corner on this movement. Uh, no one has a lockdown on it. The reality is we're all in dialogue together. More power to each man who is broadcasting their message of hope and dedication to a brighter future. Anyone who tries to shut that down or shit on that, um, they're living out of a scarcity model, right? Uh, for them, the pie goes away very, very quickly. That, that's not how it is in reality. That is not how it is. Um, there is more than enough to go around, and even more so... As we get louder, as we expand uh, this message as men, other men begin to hear. And like dominoes, we begin to, to topple and, and begin to, to cave in to our, our masculine essence. I love it. I think it's pretty amazing. Um, actually, I had the opportunity recently to get a, a pre-release uh, by the author Jack Donovan. Uh, his forthcoming book is his third in sort of a trilogy, I think, The Way of Men, uh, and then Becoming Barbarian, and, and lastly, uh, A More Complete Beast has yet to be released, but uh, got this wonderful copy. I wanted to read you something out of it. I think, I think this is so um, poignant. He says, uh, this man, and he's talking about the noble man. He's talking about the man who is, is a noble beast. He says, this man was born within the physical and the psychical boundaries of the empire of nothing. But he is possessed by an atavistic wildness. He finds himself unsatisfied with seeking only that which is necessary for his own survival and pleasure it is a higher happiness he seeks, the joy of self-revelation, and becoming that can only be achieved through pressure and trial. 
Boy, isn't that the truth? It can only be achieved through pressure and trial. He is a man who wants to become more than what he is, more of what a man is. He wants to be stronger, more courageous, more skillful. To become stronger, more courageous, and more skillful, he realizes that he must surround himself with and be tested by other men who demonstrate these core masculine virtues. He strives to earn the respect of his chosen tribe in word and deed, to honor them and be honored by them. And I love this part right here. This noble beast has rebelled against civilization in choosing hardness over softness, in valuing what has been transvaluated, inverted, and perverted by the culture of resentment that dominates the empire. He has resigned himself to becoming a barbarian, an outsider, a spiritual outlaw who wears the head of a wolf. He owes love and loyalty only to those oathed to him who wander the outskirts of the empire with him, shoulder to shoulder. He owes apologies, arguments, and explanations only to his peers. He loots, plunders, and pillages the empire when it is advantageous to do so, knowing that the empire and its passive citizens will always align themselves against him, the outsider. He feels no remorse for those beyond the perimeter of his protection in this new spiritual realm. This new noble barbarian is a creator, choosing his own values. And with his brothers, he gives order to a new world within a world, remaking it from the ruins of that which came before. Isn't that fantastic? I love how he articulates that. That is really the heart and soul of evolving wild. It is recapturing that sense of wildness, that primal experience of manhood. So thank you so much for continuing to grow with us here at Last Man Standing and Evolving Wild. Uh, Thanks for continuing to help to spread the message, whether you're starting your own podcast, uh, whether you're starting your own website, um, or whether you're tuning in, letting friends know about this here. This is an all-hands-on-deck sort of moment. So... Yeah, connect with us on Instagram, on Twitter, read the articles at our website, evolvingwild.live, subscribe to the podcast, go over to iTunes, subscribe to it, leave ratings, reviews, five stars, everyone. We want everyone to hear these stories of mansformation. It's a beautiful fall night. I'm uh, out here recording on... um, the outside looking into the forest right now and I'm, I'm actually viewing Mars uh, the red planet right now and aside from this microphone there's no light no, no uh, unnatural light around sometimes it feels like we, we live in a world of, of media overload data dump everywhere. It's a, it's a thick blanket where everything is distracting us from everything else. But I think underneath this, underlying this total assault on our senses, the reality is our culture as it exists today offers us nothing transcendent. No deeper meaning, no greater sense of hope, 
no big why. Sometimes it seems as though every mechanism within civilization is carefully designed to keep us from wondering what our real purpose is. And it just keeps us busy, this endless, frantic activity. Today, my guest and I, Ryan, are talking about something I feel is vital, and that is the experience of cracking open the head, (laughs) utilizing one of the most ancient forms of transcendence, one of the most ancient gateways into the inner mind that I know of. And of course, I'm talking about psychedelics and and specifically, in this case, psilocybin mushrooms. So while psychedelics, all sorts, are demonized in America today, and Ryan and I talk about this at length, these visionary compounds, which are found in plants, they're the spiritual sacraments of tribal cultures around the world. Up until 6,000 years ago, when the civilization project began in earnest, 100% of us were indigenous hunter-gatherer people. And our ancestral history would have been filled with these practices. Whether it's Iboga, um, or go to the Maztecs in Mexico, these plants are sacred because they awaken the mind to all these levels of awareness to an unfolding vision of the universe. Uh, These plants that produce visions, I I think that they can function. For those of us who have inherited this very uh, uh, empty materialism, this barren materialism, cut off from any sort of spiritual heritage uh, by a culture that really gives us nothing but ashes, these plants can often produce an awakened mind, awakened to reality. And that's what Ryan and I are going to be talking about. This is truly a manthropology experiment. And I know that within the manosphere, there is a hesitancy to talk about specifically mind-altering substances such as this, or mood-altering substances. And I get it. I get it. We don't want crutches. We want to be ramen. If I can't produce it with my breathing alone, I don't want any of it. (laughs) And that's okay. I think that may be an extension of our highly materialistic culture, but I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to offer it up to you to to listen to the conversation and see where it leads you. A couple of notes. The clicking sound you hear occasionally in the background of this podcast is really my best attempt to relight my cigar, which has gone out. Uh, I don't have a great deal of luck with it. You also hear my obsession with the Gen Nose, the Gen Blossom again. I have no clue why I have been obsessed with this. Maybe I'm terrified of it, I suppose. Uh, I think that's the only explanations I have for this particular podcast. Hey, I am so excited that you're with us again. Please, if you haven't already done so, share this with your friends. Uh, Link to us. uh, Help us promote this and broadcast our pirate signal, our barbarian signal. Uh, throughout the manosphere. Again, the more the merrier. May 
you grow and your tribe increase. All right. Thanks so much. Spirits, American Gin. A friend of yours, uh, my business partner. He, uh, that was his company for a while. Where is it out of? Chicago. Chicago. Or Evanston, Illinois. All right. It's uh, near Chicago. I already said this, but obviously this is Ryan, uh, a a winemaker extraordinaire among many things. Among many things. Yeah. Hope to hear some of that tonight. As we drink, I'm drinking the gin that you brought. You're not. I, well, I'm I'm in a bourbon mood, so oh. I'm I, I'm I'm doing bourbon tonight. Nice. Uh, I loved. You know, I had a very long term relationship with gin, but uh, G I N G I N. Yeah. Yes, um, and I found some really amazing sipping gins, but mainly I was a Tangeray guy that liked my gin and tonics. I just at some point it was just too sugary sweet for me and so yeah tonight's a bourbon night you know the season's shifting feels like fall it does it feels there's a nip in the air there is a nip in the air and that 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 says bourbon to me maybe you can answer this on on the last podcast Nick and Drew and I were talking about um uh gen nose that uh, like a, a gen flower a gen blossom are you familiar with that the the gen nose Gin blossoms like the '90s band, <laughs> like the '90s band. But I think that term is actually from. Hey, <laughs> I think that Hello term me. is actually from getting a giant bulbous nose from drinking too much gin. Are you? Oh, really? I, I. Well, because I mean, gin is gin is made with juniper berries, so like, there's no gin blossom like as far as like a a, a thing in gin itself. So. You're saying the bulbous nose is. I think the specifically gin when you see it's it's always a man when you see a no, man. I, I know the, the I know the nose. You know the nose. Okay, yeah. I think it's from drinking gin, or just alcohol in general. No, I think it's gin. Well, with the trimmers and the nose. So the thing is, is that gin has so juniper berries are poisonous. Oh. I mean, fact check me on this later, but juniper berries are poisonous, and most gin is primarily the botanicals in gin is juniper berries, hmm. which is why the hangovers that I've had after drinking They're too much worst. gin are the absolute worst. I say they have the <sighs> longest tail of any hangover. You and just feel like shit. But the other thing is that like I'm drinking gin and tonic and tonic 
quinine, right? Is quinine. And um, I just got to imagine that between quinine and juniper berries, you're just loading your body up with a bunch of stuff that it's, you know, it's creating a lot of inflammatory response. That's shit. I could be wrong about that. Didn't, Fact check me. Didn't Jamie. Like Joe, Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, didn't. Um, when are you going to hire a Jamie? I need one. I could have one of my kids out here doing it, but I might get a little uh, randy for him. Yeah. Parenting fail. Didn't uh, gin and tonic develop? Have you have you heard about the development of gin and tonic? Are you aware of? It was in the Indian Raj when the the British Empire had colonized India, okay. and I think that people were were getting dysentery. <clears throat> the officers were getting dysentery, and they started to drink. Uh, they started to mix quinine and gin as a health drink. Huh. Well, hence tonic. Right. And so they mixed quinine and uh, and gin. So it, it really is a health drink. It's a well drink. It makes you well. Oh, that's what well drink the, means? Genesis of that term, too. Wow. This is... Yeah, fact... fact Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've got a lot to cover uh, this time around. We can't just be tangential. Yeah, we can't just be like, you know checking in with each other no, that's like, not this kind of podcast no no like inside jokes no people like remember that one i do yeah. you heard that oh that was so good oh Man. nobody else gets it <laughs> but i mean we got really big pushback on the last podcast they we did hated it. a lot of people nobody especially our friends it. especially the two who listened to it they couldn't stand it i only know one that listened to it that story that you told yeah mm. i know it got cut though Oh, good. Thank good God. Editing. I wasn't sure. You know, I said cut in the middle of it. Right. But... Well, you motioned cut. That's what I hate. I hate hosting people. And in the middle, <laughs> Drew, you've heard Drew's podcast. In the middle, Drew will do, he'll like do the cut motion, like across his throat. And I always think he's becoming like kind of menacing towards me. In a moment. But no, it's like cut. You know what's fascinating about watching you do that? Is that your beard is so low that when you do the cut thing, it's like down at your chest. So it's not like like normal people. It's cut. Right. But your beard is so far down that you're like cut. slash the chest. Literally. It's like a murder scene. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Okay. Well, there's now, an apostrophe in that. Now that we've got fact check it, huh, Jamie? You know, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, you are the person who corrected me on a rather embarrassing factoid years ago. Um, the flying dinosaur is 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 called what? Universally, the the single flying dinosaur that we know that pterodactyl. We, pterodactyl. Say oh, it again. You, pterodactyl. T there's an L at the end. There is, and there's no O at the end. Right, because for years I was saying pterodactyl. Yeah, you were. I sounded like a fucking moron. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and then one day you graciously, like you were, like you were telling someone that they had a booger on their on their nostrils. You said, by the way. It's pterodactyl. You mean like a booger in their nostrils? Well, you know, like when people have like some giant snot ball hanging off their nose. Right, but not a booger in their, or what did you say, booger I said on their nostril? a booger. On their nostril. A boog. They had a boog there. So moving on, let's <laughs> let's get into this. We have to be There's focused. some shit to talk okay, about. Okay, so the first thing that I really want to talk San about. San Francisco 49ers. Oh, Football so season's good. coming up. Oh, hot and heavy. God, no. Psychedelics. Yes. Okay, so... I feel like this 
this conversation, this topic is in the air right now. It's certainly not the first time that people have been talking about this. There's a lot out there, a lot of really popular people. Michael Pollan, who wrote Omnivore's yep. Dilemma, he came out with a really phenomenal book. Um, and you and I have had some interesting dialogue around this, and you've had some interesting experiences um, that I want to talk to you about today because I think that that the average person, maybe they're unaware of this conversation, or maybe they are, and they they want to know, and they need to know. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a scary topic. That's not really that scary, but for for those of us who are you know raised in let's say the '80s, you know, or the '90s, like the the anti drug, you know, sort of. Uh, the fried egg. This is your brain. Yeah, exactly, on drugs. exactly. Yeah. You know, if if you grew up with that, then the idea of actually looking into this as a personal growth technique is is like, whoa, 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 what? What yeah. are you talking about? Like, it's it's it seems very far. It seemed very far fetched to me when I first encountered it. You know what's crazy is that like what we've developed, or not we, but uh, what has been developed around like brain science. They're now able to test some of these experiences that people are having on these psychedelic drugs that's showing remarkable, remarkable results. And I think that in, in the era that we live in, it, it, we're, we're kind of reliant on science to actually say like, like science is our gatekeeper for legitimizing any sort of medicine. The modern myth that we look through everything at. Absolutely. Um, which isn't necessarily bad. Boy, that wind is so beautiful. It is definitely fall. It is. I love watching the trees blow in the background. Well, that is interesting that you bring this up, though, because science today is legitimizing something that uh, the conversation effectively was abandoned in the 60s, you know, Timothy Leary comes out with, what is it, tune in, tune out, whatever his mantra was. Right. Everybody needs to do acid. And we see this huge culture of excess. Yep. And as... Well, and just people who aren't ready for it. I mean, that, that was Timothy Leary's big problem was that he saw it, instead of being a tool, he saw it as a silver bullet. Yeah, and so Timothy Leary, he was a psychology professor at... Uh, one Stanford. Of, Stanford. No, 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 no. Harvard? Harvard. Harvard. Who was the guy at Stanford? Him and Richard Alpert, who became okay. Ram Dass. Right. They, um, they began to utilize, together with their students, psychedelics and LSD, and began to take these trips together. And then he became a... They, they fired him, actually. Mm-hmm. And then he became a very, very public figure in promoting this, and it gave rise in large part to the counterculture movement. Sure. And I mean, I think that a lot of what we see in the world today, as far as like positive benefits, technological advances probably come out of that revolution. The thing is, is that I, I don't think it's that we weren't necessarily ready for it at the, in that era. I think it's that, again, he framed it as this silver bullet. This is the thing that will fix humanity. Everybody must do this, which is very different from saying this is a tool that if you are looking for enlightenment or looking to have your mind blown open, this can do it for you. Mm. And that's just, that's a very different thing. One is convincing right. and, and the other is, is meeting people where they're at. And I think that may have been where that problem 
or where that went astray. If your only tool is a hammer, everything starts to look exactly, like a nail. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so he hit it hard, and, and, and he wasn't alone in that. I mean, I think that our, our parents' generation, the, the boomer generation, was certainly um, a very extremist, almost teetotaler in the sense that when they were sold on any one thing, they drank deeply from that well. And so it was a generation of excess, and, and in that area especially, scared a lot of people off. And by the 80s, by our childhood, um, people were terrified, the drug culture. Yeah, I mean, of course, it was also a time in America, and maybe in the West in general, when a lot of questions were being asked. I mean, this is Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, well, I guess this is pre-Vietnam War, but it was, it was in this, uh, or was it? I think that was going on in the backdrop the whole time. So there was this, there was definitely a, you know, a cultural upheaval. I mean, isn't this the same time that you see a bunch of like gurus coming to America? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. people wanted answers. Yeah. This is like the early, um, the, 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 the early pregnancy of something being birthed. And so people were looking for something, looking for answers to, to map this new world that was, that felt like it was on its way. I mean, these con concepts of the age of Aquarius potentially birthing soon. There's so much potential in the there air. There was so much potential in the air. And and it, it's a shame in the sense that they were doing, with, with the level of science that was developed in that era, and this goes back to the 50s, with the level of science that was developed in the era, they were already doing hard scientific research. Yeah. Serious psych psych psychological research around how these things could benefit people, not as silver bullets, but as tools to get people from A to B quicker than just your traditional Freudian talk to a counselor, delve into your trauma. It was advancing people at rates much faster. And then the Timothy Leary thing, and then boom, stop. Yeah. Absolute hard stop. All the funding goes away. All the funding goes away. Not just that, but like it's now illegal to do this. Right. It becomes a, a, a section one, or what's it called? A, a schedule one a schedule drug. schedule one drug. Parallel with heroin. So, LSD and mushrooms are now parallel with heroin. So so just for any listeners who, who aren't familiar with these schedules, I wasn't either several years ago. So the, the way that the FDA, and this is this is the other thing, is that the, F, the, that, uh, the scheduling of drugs by the FDA was actually an invention in that same era. Okay. So a Schedule One drug is a drug that has zero potential for any sort of medical use. So medical in a very broad sense, psychological, um, uh, pain alleviation, anything like this. That's what a schedule one And is, is highly addictive. And is highly addictive, right. right. So, which of course, now we know very well that psilocybin, mushrooms, you right. know. Are, magic are, mushrooms. Magic mushrooms are not, they, they do not fit that description. Yeah. Non-addictive. Non-addictive and also highly uh they're beneficial for psychological use. They can be yeah. beneficial for... I hesitate to say they are in right. the sense that Timothy Leary was saying LSD is this. Yeah, it seems so individual, but but there is a great body of evidence right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a, a lot of the uh, people who are constructing this body of evidence are, are, are private. Um, they're, they're, either, they're either universities that are doing... 
um, like Johns Hopkins University that's uh, been messing around with MDMA and uh, PTSD patients um, or the cancer treatment thing with psilocybin uh, or like maps or the, the, the folks from that, that wrote the book Stealing Fire. I can't remember what that guy's name is, but he's developed an entire um, corporation that is doing hardcore brain research around what these what the what the actual effects of these drugs under and like eeg and controlled substance in a controlled environment exactly yeah yeah now i i, I do want to pause here and parallel that with um with the rising star that came on the heels of the the banishment of psychedelics from popular culture and mainstream culture, which is the modern love child of psychotherapy. And, you know, you see, you see as the counterculture wanes, you see this rise of the counseling world and of psychotherapeutic world parody where, where medical doctors and counselors now have the same weight of authority when they write um, a diagnosis. What's absolutely insane about this is that you know, and, and this is not a widely known statistic, but you have the American Psychological Association actually admitting that less than 30% of clients who enter into therapy will achieve their stated goals. Wow. Less than 30%. And not only that, um, but talk therapy, that is actually um, specific therapies, mostly cognitive behavioral. The, the creme de la creme of therapies are the ones that are actually struggling, let alone your average practitioner who's basically just sitting in front of you and babbling and letting you babble on ad infinitum. So, I mean, these are tremendously unsuccessful forms of actually changing our minds and our habits and our patterns, but they have, that's all we've got. Totally. Do you think Freud's rolling in his grave or do you think Freud's like, fuck, I was wrong? Oh God. Because the thing is like, I don't know if, I mean, Freud was probably wrong on, on on a handful of things, but like no, we we all want our mother. That is certain. Sure, but <laughs> there is something about entitlement culture that psychotherapy yeah. fits into quite well. Oh, it's just so... give me somebody I can bitch to. Yes, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Just give me somebody I can bitch to. And I can actually say, so many therapists, the conversation that they're having in the break room between sessions is, oh. Fuck, another client who just wants to come and bitch, right? Unless it's your mom's therapist and, and she looks like your mom and she's, you know, wonderful and doting and like a, she's going to bring you matzo ball soup. Like, unless it's her, I mean, for the most part, they're like lamenting the fact that people just want to come and whine. Are you suggesting that moms should be a therapist to their children? <laughs> That's a horrible. I mean, idea. this is an interesting no, but it may be interesting to explore with psychedelics. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, parallel to this this absence of of psychedelics due to the embargo and the drug war, there is this rise of psychotherapeutic culture. Well, now today, studies are coming out more and more showing the inability of talk therapy to actually change people's behaviors, change people's minds, and. Um, we knew that about 20 years ago, actually. The research was coming out then in, in, in droves. So then enter the pharmaceutical companies, and they say, well, we've got some great options I for you. I hope you were going there, yeah. You know, because and, SSRIs, uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, is at least as ineffective. I, I forget what the numbers are. Michael Pollan quotes them in his book, but yeah. it's like 
it's it's I think it's in the teens it's of its actual low. effectiveness of treating. It's only slightly more um, effective than the placebo. Yeah, exactly. Which is awful. But, but here we are in a culture where, I mean, I don't, I don't know the numbers on this, but anecdotally, a lot of us are medicated on anti-depression, anti-psychotic, anti-anxiety yep. medications. And honestly, we feel so powerless against, you know, what we're up against culturally today. Isolation, um, these overwhelming senses of despair. I know I've had those moments, right? All of these things. What the fuck do you do? And there's only a couple of channels. Right. And and sure, I'll go. I'll go to the doctor. I'll go to the stupid counselor who just got out of grad right. school. Right? right, right. Like, I'll do it. And people are desperate right now. But, but. Enter this brave new world of researchers who decided to say, no, let's pick back these studies. Let's yeah. pick up these studies again that really showed true promise. Well, here's what's cool about that is that they're not going rogue. A lot of these people are doing FDA-sanctioned tests. So when Johns Hopkins is doing right. tests on the effectiveness of MDMA, Molly ecstasy right. to treat people with PTSD or Stanford. Yeah. They're doing, oh, am I wrong? Or no, Stanford's no, doing it as well. They're doing it okay. as well. Yeah. They're doing it under a sanction from the FDA. So the FDA is saying, yeah, we scheduled this drug as schedule one, no medical benefit, wow. highly addictive. And the FDA is saying, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let you try this out. I mean, th that's like, that's pretty mind-blowing. It's, it's either mind-blowing or it's saying that they realized, whoever's running it now has realized, wow, we might have made some missteps back in the day in this whole war on drugs thing. Maybe we were like, you know, conflating all drugs as evil. Right. And now like, I hate to even use the word drugs when I'm talking about oh, things like psilocybin or MDMA. I mean, because all of a sudden you're a drug user, right? And to to say drug almost sounds, in my mind, it's more about the application of it. Although I don't even know if that's fair. Like, if you want to get fucked up on MDMA and go to a rave or something, like, oh, it's gonna help. It's going to help <laughs> as long as Mama is there, <laughs> as long as your therapist, Mama. Okay, so. There's all different. There's all different sorts of beneficial, as we've seen. There's all different sorts of beneficial plant medicines, as it's being called right now. Right. Molecules derived from plant medicines. Iboga. Yeah, I mean, ibogaine has really not been explored much in the West. Right. I mean, it's it, it, it of all of them, that's ayahuasca is another ayahuasca. One. Um, and, and you know what? I just I want to caveat this and say what's so fascinating. You may be out there listening to this and being like, what the fuck are these guys pushing right now? But again, the conversations that you may not be a part of, I, I guarantee you the medical professionals who are helping you, who are serving you, they are having these conversations in the back rooms. I know because I was there. They're talking about it. They're going to the ayahuasca retreats. They're going to mm -hmm. uh, the guided psilocybin uh, journeys. They are doing it because it is effective. And it is probably, for the first time in many years, a valid path forward. I, I do want to break from this part just really quick and and move more to the subjective, though. Yeah, sure. Because 
you know, I'm I'm not necessarily qualified outside of my sphere um, on adaptive psychology to really talk about this. But we both had experiences with this. I think we should start with our very first experience with psilocybin, and it is not a powerful journey. It is not mind-altering in a in a deep consciousness. Do you do you remember what it was? With psilocybin? Yep. Magic mushrooms. My first experience was actually before yours. What? Yeah. You didn't tell me that. But go, but go on. We we spent a weekend uh, with with a, with a handful of friends in a um, in a cabin, isolated, in an isolated cabin. Very the shining. And we tried we tried tea, and then we weren't feeling the tea, and then we like tried eating the mushrooms. Start eating and, mushrooms like chips. And there was like there was like fifteen of us in this like two bedroom a frame cabin on Mount Hood. Yeah. And. Uh, which I don't recommend that. That's not good no. set and setting. Well, and, and that's actually what I wanted to say because I, while I actually had a very pleasant experience. There yeah, was... you read the entire book, Ready Player One. <laughs> I did. In like eight hours I and did. like mumbled underneath your breath. I started making fun of people <laughs> under my breath. And I thought that nobody could hear me. I could hear you. I know. <laughs> so embarrassing. But it actually was a really good experience. I mean, I didn't have a negative experience, but it was not... It was not anything where I would say, oh, this was a powerful or transformative experience. It was just sparkling. Right. You, totally. And there's, I, I mean, in my experience now, now that I've done mushrooms a handful of times, there's a threshold. There's a, there, there's a, there's a, a threshold of amount that is consumed that, uh, that, I mean, it's, it's threshold. It takes you over the line where you're finally out of your normal head mm. and into a different realm of thinking. So something after that experience that I had, we had together, apparently you had some other experience before that you hadn't quite let me in on, which is going to stick in my mind now, yeah, but disappointing, very disappointing. Um, but you specifically something in you made you want to go back to that well talk about what was going on that that made you want to to go back to that not in a social way not in a recreational way but in a consciousness uh growing kind of approach well there's there's a lot of stuff that that i had people have started feeding me information around you know like have you heard what this person's saying like like there is there's a movement out there i mean this it, people are calling it the third wave of psychedelics that mm -hmm. it actually has real potential. Mm -hmm. I think, I think for me it was when I read the article about how a lot of Silicon Valley types were microdosing LSD and psilocybin mushrooms as, as a, as a means to access a greater sense of creativity and flow state or in the momentness that's when I was like, well, that sounds interesting to me. Yeah. So on a, on a cerebral level, that was what made me think, wow, I really want to look into this. I ended up taking a really deep dive into it. So, so back up, uh, um, you wanted to look into it, but 
when you say look into it, you don't mean you wanted to read more about it. You wanted to experience that for yourself. So there's this guy, Paul Stamets, and if you if you haven't heard of Paul Stamets, you his his interview with Joe Rogan uh-huh. was one of the most profound things that I had heard. His experience with mushrooms. This is a guy who's a mycologist. He actually studies mushrooms in general. Uh-huh. So uh, so I know this is a little bit tangential, uh-huh. but when I was a kid, there were two kingdoms: animal and plant. Uh-huh. Now there's something like seven kingdoms. Mushrooms is one of these things where they thought they were plants. That's how it was categorized when I was a kid. Yeah. Now they realize through people like Paul Stamets that mushrooms actually exhibit much more animal behavior than wow. than than plant behavior. I mean, as a kid who grew up in the 80s like what the fuck? Like this is crazy. This is like Pluto not being a planet anymore. <laughs> Which, what the fuck? Now they're saying it's a planet again. Again? Ah, you know, God, it's just... I hate science. But isn't that the great thing about <laughs> science is that if you don't take it too seriously, if you take it as an exploratory pathway, God, we can get so far. Yeah. But the problem with science is that when it becomes dogmatic in the way right. that religion is dogmatic, in the way that a lot of things can tend to be dogmatic... Dogmatism is just like, it's dead in streets, it's zero-sum games. Which, I, again, I don't want to get too tangential here. But, sure, sure, yeah. But there was just recently an article that got published, ah, uh, was it in The Atlantic? That, no, it was in Nature that showed that uh, 13 out of 21 of the research articles published in Science Magazine could not be replicated. Well, yeah, there's that. I mean, that's the cool thing about psychedelic research now is it's being so we're pulling from 1950s, 1960s evidence, but it's being replicated now. I know. So, so this isn't like a, this isn't like somebody coming up with a theory or a, or a hypothesis and and then like people going back and trying to test it again. Like it's being tested in real time right now. It's not it's, even in the first testing wave. This is the third set of, of clinical trials that the FDA has actually approved on this. The third. This is cra- so this is clearly yeah. a this is clearly a legitimate end. It's 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 legitimate. Will it like based on political things that are happening right now in the United States, will it uh, who knows where it's going to go? I yeah. mean, uh, we're in the wild west a little bit right okay, now. Okay, so Paul Stamets okay. blowing so, your mind. So so Paul Stamets um after hearing Paul Stamets' uh, podcast on Joe Rogan, I was like, you know what? This seems legit enough on an anecdotal level. Yeah. Like, not even just a purely scientific level, but on an anecdotal level that I'm like, I want to test this out for myself. So, a friend of mine and I arranged a, a weekend at the coast in Oregon. And I do a really big dose. A heroic dose. That's what they call it, is the hero's journey dose. Right. It's four and a half, five grams. And he 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 says he'll be my guide. Yeah. He'll he'll take care of me. And he did. He was my tether. Um Did you call him Tether? I did not call him <laughs> Tether until after the fact. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. Yeah, you called me, I think, the next day or the next day after that, and and tears were so close to the surface. Fuck. It was... It, it, close to the surface? I think I was crying on yeah, the phone. Yeah, like the it whole was, time. It was... Like, so, there, so there's this... Um, 
for people who've attempted mushrooms or LSD on a recreational level, there's this idea of a good trip and a bad trip. Right. And as my friend and I were driving back from this, he's like, wow, man, I, I really feel like you had a substantially bad trip. Hmm. And then we parsed through that about how like good trip, bad trip is assigning value to what actually happened. It's not about what happened. It's about how we feel about what happened. And, and even in that moment, I was like, I don't know that I feel like it was a bad trip. I feel like it was the trip I needed to get me to the next place. And we started parsing through that idea of assessing positive or negative value to something that just was what it was. Mm. And I learned something from it. Wow. In fact, I didn't, I didn't shy away from it. I went on my next dose, uh, probably two months later. It, it, it wasn't something that I was like, oh my God, that was so horrible. I'm going to stay away from that. I was like, no, it showed me something mm-hmm. that maybe I wasn't ready to deal with. It created an intense anxiety for me. I had intense emotional experiences. Yeah. But when it was all said and done, I feel like it had done some work on me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Can I share a detail from it that sure. I remember? Oh yeah. Didn't Barbara Bush actually mm. make a make a showing? You know what that was about? What was that? I think I think Barbara Bush had did she, she's she dead, in, right? Is she uh, dead? I don't think so, but she was in the no, headline. No, she's dead. She died. In fact, well, Jamie. Oh, well maybe that maybe that was the headline is that I had read that Barbara Bush had died. No, I remember. You needed some kind of reality grounding. You're like, tell me something That's real. right. So I checked in with my buddy. This is in the middle of that Heroes Dose trip. And I'm like, I'm feeling so fucking ungrounded. Just tell, like, get on Apple News and read me something. Yeah, so this had to be in April because she died April 17th. It was in April. Yeah. So it was April 17th. Uh-huh. So he read to me. Barbara Bush has died. And so, I mean, the thing about psychedelics is that it works with the material that you provide for it. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in a lot of the ayahuasca ceremonies, they actually suggest a 10 to even like 30 day period in advance where you fast, where you get your diet right where you begin to focus your mind on what it is that you actually really want to talk about and think about because whatever your whatever material your mind is fixated on will be the material the even the metaphor that that you delve into in these psychedelic experiences. Mm. I mean people talk about this as set and setting. Setting is of course like where you're doing it but set is the what what your what you're after, what your intentionality is. And this is again why Timothy O'Leary might have been wrong on a certain level where it's not a silver bullet. You can't just take this medicine and it fixes you. It's like, well what are you fixated on at that time? Mm-hmm. Because if it's if it's anxious, if it's if it's 
it, it, it could be problematic in taking a substance like this. This is what's so beautiful about it because it really is a grounding in the here and now. So you, sure. he, he says this thing about Barbara Bush. Barbara Bush comes up. She's actually now the material that you're working with right then. When I was uh, when I was practicing, I would often teach mindfulness. My I, I, my my whole practice was was around uh, Zen based forms of treatment and, and mindfulness. And people were constantly surprised that mindfulness didn't always make them feel better. In fact, many times they would say things like, "Oh, I I actually felt worse after I was doing mindfulness." I was like, "No, no, you actually just felt your feelings. <laughs> right? You, you you felt anxious because you're anxious." Right, and so you stopped and you paid attention. You saw what was happening, and that's why I love uh, what I've heard you describe about psychedelics, because mm. you actually just dropped into your experience, and whatever was arising in that moment, or whatever content you served up, was exactly where you went in powerful ways. It's a very good way to say it. Thank you. I mean, your other podcasts, <laughs> but you just hit something. No, but but really that. That's a very good way to sum it up. This is why, like, we're all looking for a hack. Mm-hmm. We're all looking for something to, well, maybe we're not all, but most of us are looking for something to help us get ahead, mm. get an edge, make more money, find more success, be more attractive, whatever it is. And there probably are some hacks. I mean, th- th- there, are, there are ways that we can retrain our mind but it still requires will. I had a conversation with a, a very close friend of mine. Uh, I can't remember if it was before. I think it was after that experience where I told him in not so many words that I thought it would be more of a silver bullet, this five gram. Like it would fix you. It or... would fix me because there's, there, you know, there's people who talk about how um, three heroes journey doses of psilocybin can be like, 10, 15 years of psychotherapy compressed <laughs> into three journeys with the psilocybin. Good psychotherapy. Good psychotherapy. And he was like, yeah, but there's still will involved, right? And I was like, who's will? Uh, no, it was a joke. Like, like who is will? Yeah, like, never who mind. is that guy? Okay, cut that. Yeah. So edit. please Jamie. edit that. But really... We're looking for a quick fix. Yeah. So many of us in this day and age are looking for a quick fix. And psychedelics are not a quick fix. I think that's so important. But, but if you're willing to do the work, it can be a fucking... It's a game changer, right? It's a game changer. It can move you more quickly through things. But not if you're like... If you're, not if you're like looking to be a passive recipient. Right. The mushrooms do reprogram. That's why microdosing is a very compelling thing that's happening right now. We can get into that later, but like... Yeah, I want to save that just for, sure, just sure. for a little bit. Um, but it still requires will. Yeah. I mean, everything requires will. That's what's... <sighs> there are so many things being sold out there right now, particularly in the sort of like performance enhancement mm. um, psychotherapy realm that are like, well, if you just do this, if you just learn these five tricks, then you can become a millionaire. You too. It's like, 
Well, you could, <laughs> but bullshit. Right. It's it's both. It's like you could and bullshit. It's like it's like how much will do you have? But if if you set that in the realm of like general human experience over the last however long thousands tens of thousands of years of course willpower plays into that yeah nobody's just going to give you a million dollars you know in 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 one of the podcasts i did i was talking about uh the emotion model and uh and this this experience of emotions having emotions and we broke it down into these different segments there was uh, interpretations, there was physiological experiences. One of the things I didn't share because I didn't want you to have the one secret, the one secret. I actually wanted to package the one secret and sell it at a, at a cost, at a rate um, that, that would monetize it and make me some money is actually... Um, but you're telling it now. But I'm going to tell it now. I'm going to give it for free. Wow, a tip this for is, free. Listeners, pay attention. This is it. <laughs> it's so underwhelming because it's just what you said. It's the will. Love your mama. <laughs> Love mama. No. Renair. <laughs> Renair. 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 So, <laughs> so here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. After I went through a horrible experience of confronting my own shadow, losing my sense of, losing my reputation, uh, almost blowing up every relationship that I had. You know what the, the book that I read was immediately after the Bible, the will to power by Friedrich Nietzsche. I, yeah. I, I picked up his journals, the will to power uh, by Friedrich Nietzsche. And I read it from beginning to end because I knew what I needed was the strict joy to keep going. I needed to train my feet uh, with the joy I had yet to reach. Right, I had to approach things with will again, because I life wasn't going to come easy after that. I had to take steps forward and keep moving, even though I didn't feel it anymore. And, and I knew that's what I needed. That's that is the key to changing your emotions, but that's actually the key to changing your life. It really is the will. Why is there so much hatred toward Nietzsche? Why is he so misunderstood? Like I grew up in the yeah. Christian world and Nietzsche was always quoted as being the guy who said God is dead but now that I've read him I'm like and, well sorry I've not read him I but I've heard you've, him you've quoted. heard you've heard me quote I've him. heard you quote him. <laughs> what Nietzsche was unpacking in his God is dead conversation mm. is something that like I would imagine religious people to be like wow this is deeply truthful yeah how did we unchain ourselves from the sun oh yeah but it's more broad than just religious people yeah well he was he was commentating on culture at large and actually i find his commentary on europe in the middle of the 1800s is so parallel to what we're experiencing today in north america um it's 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 almost astonishing, and I I love Nietzsche. Um, Pontius Pilate. I'm a fanboy. What is truth, right? What is truth? Yeah, and he was talking. I feel like Nietzsche was talking about the end of the meta story, the end of the big story that is going to organize your life. True believers, um, 
the reason why you should do this is because God said so, the Bible said so, Obama said so, Trump said so. And what he was saying was, hey, this isn't because someone said so anymore. If you're going to do shit, you're going to have to want it. Yeah. And he was right. But but I think just a very simple answer to your question. The reason why Nietzsche has so much controversy is because Nietzsche. (laughs) I mean, he was he was very bombastic. He, he certainly said big things. He made a lot of enemies. He was a constant curmudgeon and critic of almost everything, including yeah. himself. Okay. So anyway, for what it's worth, I think he at times was... The- you know, for, for, for those people listening that are religious people, I mean, don't we imagine that God wants us to grow up? Yeah. I mean, that's what I pull from that, from, from my experience in my world of Christianity is that of course the recognition of a higher way or something, but grow up. I mean, have will. Mm -hmm. This has actually always mystified me too. And, and sometimes I'm around, I still, I have, I have close friends who are, are still in very fundamentalist circles and they'll talk about but actually, this isn't just Christianity. That's what's weird. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, it's just spirit flowing through me. Very new agey people will say, oh, it's just spirit flowing through me. Or I just entered into flow. Or Christians will say, oh, it was just Christ living inside of me. And, and I'm always like, yeah, okay. And actually, it reminds me of the story, that the Jewish rabbinical tradition about some guy. And, and he had this beautiful garden. And every day, the rabbi would pass by this garden. And the rabbi would say, oh, what a beautiful garden God has gifted you with. And he'd pass by in the next week. Oh, what a wonderful garden that God and his graciousness has given you. Finally, one day, the guy said, yeah, but you should have seen the garden that God had before I got to it. It was shit. Right. <laughs> you know, it's this idea that, like, uh, this guy was doing it. Yeah. And that's I, not anti-God. No. That is, that's, that's like God is a starting place. That's right. Or God's natural giftings to you as a starting place. But like, you still got to fucking develop that shit. I mean, if we take the Christian story, if we take the Hebrew story with Genesis, with Adam and Eve, God didn't want Adam and Eve. He didn't want to break their legs so that he could puppet master them. You know, like God's whole point was that there would be strong people walking on this planet, doing shit, making decisions. Well, there's whole theories now about how Adam and Eve's transgression was actually like the thing that like, it was like they passed the first test of God uh, where that, th- where they transcended. It was like the first test was God sort of setting up this thing. And then, then they, what, what m- most true believers would say is a failure. Mm. This, you know, attempt at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How the fuck wouldn't you want to taste that at some point? And in this idea that God was actually testing them to see if they would want that enough uh-huh. to move forward. I mean, metaphorically, it's that, right. There. That's powerful. That's that's real good stuff. That that we had to go beyond. I mean, God. It, so I I don't I don't want to I don't want to go too far into the whole like religious world because oh, but I do. But 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 the thing of like. When the Holy Spirit arrives, you will do greater things than I have done. When Jesus says stuff like that, that the world after Jesus could be even better 
and more evolutionary than the world <laughs> that Jesus was in himself. That, it, it, that's a big thing. It's so powerful. Oh, and, and two thoughts. Uh, um, again, Hebrew scripture, Abraham, the great patriarch, the father of the faithful, the father of three modern day religions. We call them the Abrahamic religions, uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And um, God speaks to Abraham, I, I think six consecutive times. Abraham obeys him, um, but always questions him always challenges him. And if you read those interactions, Abraham is always pushing against God. He's always arguing and wrangling with God. Mm. The final interaction is God telling Abraham, hey, go, you know that son that I gave you, Isaac, the one that you weren't supposed to have, but I blessed you with? Because your wife's like 80 years old. <laughs> right, because you're fucking old. Um, I'm, I want you to go murder him. I, I, I want to go back on everything that you've ever known about me, and I want you to murder him. And you know what Abraham does? Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Did I send you that meme? No. no. Where it's like, uh, uh, it's like God. Abraham, I want you to uh, murder your son. And he's like, uh, okay. And then he's like, he's like, Abraham, just kidding. Don't, don't do it. And he's like, shit. I think in a few years, I'm going to probably murder my own son. It's <laughs> horrible. God stops actually in, 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 the, in the biblical narrative God stops talking to Abraham after that event if you read it that way it's almost like God is saying hey why the fuck didn't you push back on me on that one hmm. like literally when Abraham starts stops arguing with God oh, God stops talking to him it's like friendship with God at least in these narratives has everything to do again, with force of will and articulating yourself back to God. Right, it's like once acquiescence comes into the picture... You're no longer his friend. Th you're no longer his friend. You're just a... Fucking robot. A robot, exactly. It's like, it's like I set up this tree of good and evil or this tree of the, you know, the knowledge of good and evil. Tastes hopefully, more evil. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully won't drink for it, eat from it. Uh, <laughs> let's see what happens. Okay, they passed the first test. Yeah. Okay, Abraham, damn it, you failed. And you know what I love? I love the end of the biblical narrative. Maybe we can road off here, but I love the end of the biblical narrative. And it ends with these beautiful words. They'll need no light, nor lamp, nor sun. They need no law, for the law will be written in their heart. In other words, they're not fucking mindless AI walking around there anymore. They're actually people who have real intelligence and are living their own lives. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the end of the story. That's good shit. That's real. It's real hell. good shit. It's a far cry from what we observe in the modern religious world. But that's a that's a whole nother conversation. Well, so I back, you, but, but here's the okay, on ramp okay. back to psychedelics. I actually think this is one of the reasons why psychedelics got banned. Because I think that you had all these people in the 60s and 70s who started taking large amounts of psychedelics and having their own fucking free yeah. thoughts and the government's like shit can't have that well it's it, so not that i'm a sympathizer to the government but like Are you fucking deep state i'm deep state I, so <clears throat> i've been saying my name is ryan but i'm actually <laughs> alex jones oh my god um too soon Society needs to regulate. I mean, that, that, oh, that's that, that, true. that the point of society is to create a predictable, uh, knowable 
reality. I mean, that's that's the big story. That's civilization. That's civilization. Right so, and that's not. It's not unfounded. I mean, it, it it does create a reliability, a predictability for us. Yeah. Do I agree with what they did? Not necessarily, but um, but if you know, who knows? It could have been a it could have been a blessing as a curse. I mean that. I mean, what Timothy Leary was propositioning was, or proposing. It was anarchy, right? It could have been. It could have been severe anarchy to the level that, like, we wouldn't have been able to recover from. Yeah. Um, because again, it's not a silver bullet. It's a tool, right, to personal transformation. If you're at a point, and this is what I want to get back to, is like, if you're at a point where you want your mind blown open. If you're like, wow, I find myself in a fucking loop day in and day out, and I can't get out of this loop, well, psychedelics could offer you something. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're willing to do the work, if you have that if you have that will in the matter, mm -hmm. is it gonna quote unquote fix you? Well, n no, but you can fix yourself with the tool of psychedelics, and I've experienced that. I mean, I can't say that I'm in like some amazing space right now because of psychedelics, but I can say that it's shown me things that maybe I was trying to not, that I was like sheltering myself against, mm -hmm. you know, that the last, so I, I told you a little bit about that, that five gram dose I did with my friend that was, you know, considered a quote unquote bad trip. The hero's journey. The hero's journey. And it was, it was traumatic on a certain level. Did I have insights after that oh, mm. hell yeah i i had so many insights after that did they immediately take me to a good place no mm. did they help me think about some of the stuff that i should probably work through absolutely mm. so about six weeks ago maybe two months ago uh, a couple friends of mine and i did a a lower dose a two gram dose in the um in the in the woods and i will tell you this that was the first time sorry about that 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 fell over <laughs> ever that was the first time that i had had this out of body god experience not being god but like of being seen by god experience hmm that I felt like the universe was really saying, you've got this. Mm. Stop doubting yourself so much. We're oh. caring for you. And again, it's all set and setting. The, the setting was great. It was in the forest. The set was that I wanted to see sort of like some direction for my own life. Yeah. But I, but, but, but I, I just want to say this, that like, it's not just positive thinking. It's not just like, oh, well, whatever you've ramped your mind up to the two or three days beforehand are going to be what you end up with. No, I feel like it gets it. I feel like it gets the things behind the things. Yeah. So we bring to it the things and what the medicine does is it gets at the things behind the things that maybe we're not able to 
see ourselves. Hmm. Which is, again, why it's a tool. It's something that, that can help in that transition, that in-between state. Hmm. It, it, it occurs to me that it might be useful to... Uh, to just offer up a model of human personality in this moment that kind of is goes with what you've just said. If you can kind of imagine um, a human as a, a vast body of water, think of a large lake, and in that water is quite a bit of life, uh, just bursting, brimming with life. But then imagine uh, that that's kind of like how we are when we enter this world. We're, we're that when we enter this world. We're full of potential. We're full of life. But then this lake is sitting there and the cold winds of winter begin to blow. It blows upon this lake. And what happens to that body of water? Actually, it forms a protective layer over the lake itself, right? We call that ice. We don't usually think of ice as a protective layer, but that's exactly what it is. Ice is a protective layer um, that is defending what lies beneath from the harsh conditions of the winter. Hmm. But it's also a preventative layer, right? <laughs> the fish aren't jumping out of it unless you have to cut a hole in it or something like that, right? It's protective, but it is preventative in the same token. That is very much how we develop. We develop uh, as sure. almost limitless potential, but then there is this frustration, this disappointment, which almost hits us immediately. We, hit, we create shells. We do, and we develop this icy layer on top. We call that defense mechanism, that, that, that survival strategy, the human personality, right? And mm -hmm. it is a protective mechanism, but it's also a preventative mechanism. It prevents that potential that lies beneath so often. It's important though, like your personality, my personality, it's what we'll set foot on, just like the ice, right? That, that's how people set foot on the lake, right? We land on each other's defense mechanisms. That's how we skate by in life. But the reality is there are times when cracks emerge. Yeah. When the ice cracks and suddenly what lies beneath is, is there. And is vulnerable. Is vulnerable. And, and we have a choice to make in that moment, whether we can just dump water back on it, patch the ice up, or if we truly want to take the deep dive and access what's behind the, or what's underneath, what lies beneath. And I think what you're talking about is actually accessing what lies beneath, what lies beneath the shell. I think that's where the gold lies. And as, as many years as I was in uh, counseling or psychotherapy, I've got to tell you, most clients would come in and they, they just wanted to patch the ice back up. Right. They just wanted to fix shit. Get my wife back, get my job back, get my girl. Crayola. Right, Crayola. I, I have a business plan. <laughs> right. I just want to patch the ice back up. People who want real healing, they want to keep the crack open long enough to get underneath and it's fucking painful and I think that's what you're describing you had to confront real pain so can I just go back to a conversation that you and I had like three yeah. or four years ago about I, I was at this moment where I felt like my ribs were being cracked open in in a, a sort of spiritual sense my was this ribs, when I was hugging you or uh, no <laughs> that would have been the opposite direction that would have been a compression my ribs were being cracked open and you were like, stay with it. Yeah. And, hmm. 
And I was like, I'm so afraid that there's nothing inside there. Mm-hmm. And I still feel that from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like all this self-work, what if not, what if there is no real soul there? What if there is no, there's nothing underneath. What if there's nothing underneath? Yeah. Because that's, it's, it requires a lot of faith. That's right. To say that I'm going to do this work and do this difficult, painful, painfully potential or potentially painful work with the hope that the outcome hmm. is going to be that I'm going to come out on the other side hmm. stronger, bolder, more me or whatever. Yeah. And you don't know, like, there's no guarantee. Yeah. That that's going to be the case. That's a very scary thing. Hmm. So I understand why people. I guess I understand why people limit their psychological pursuits to just bitching about things. Hmm. It doesn't require like, if you can just describe what's wrong in the world. I mean, God, let's look at society right now. Yeah. We're all describing what's wrong with the world. And we're outraged about it. We're outraged about it. Yeah. And maybe some of us are doing some things about it, but what are we doing about it? We are confronting Mm. somebody else's shadow. It's largely reactionary. It's largely reactionary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's curious. Hmm. There's no... I think real self-work requires immense risk. Hmm. Which is, again, going back to the Leary thing. Hmm. You're giving this to a bunch of people who don't know what they're risking. Ah, that's it. It's like, it's it's a cool idea. I mean, it could be mind-altering. I mean, it is mind-altering, but like, as far as societally changing, hmm. those who changed society were those with a will to power already. Yeah. So, you know, so, so Steve Jobs, he's, he's a great example of one who's popularized the idea of, of LSD as being this transformative experience for him. You know, I think he listed as one of the top five transformative experiences in his life. Wow. Steve Jobs. Yeah. Apple. And, and maybe you wouldn't have wanted to be friends with this guy, but, but whatever. I mean, I didn't want to be friends with Mark Rothko or... Uh, Pablo Picasso. These guys were, you know, people who they wanted you to be friends. They want, you, you know, no. they they actually sent me a friend request on on Facebook. <laughs> Delete, I, uh, <laughs> ignore. <laughs> I just let it sit there, <laughs> let them wonder. No, but 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 really, like, hmm. for Steve Jobs to say that that it was one of the most that it transformed him. Yeah. Well, that. That gets at like who who you are when you go into this. Hmm. So my 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 thought with psychedelics is psychedelics are a tool that have been sort of their reputation has been tarnished. But for a person looking to do real work, hmm. they could really benefit. From a guided experience with something like psychedelics. I want to insert here that there's a large prejudice, I imagine, in 
um, in the personal development community, specifically around men's work. I think because a lot of men's work has actually evolved out of sobriety culture, which mm. I, I find really encouraging. And I know a lot of men who have come out of addiction and powerful addictions and, and they've, they've, they've come to the other side of it. And I think that's, that's really awesome. It's good. Um, because that's coping. That's that, right. That's sobriety from coping mechanisms. That's right. They're not sedating anymore. They're facing life on its own terms. And there is this sense of, well, psychedelics is just another form of uh, another crutch. Totally. Yeah. So I'm sure you know that the guy who founded AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. he came upon this idea fact check me uh after a significant psilocybin experience oh wow did you know that i think i read that in um in uh, i think Daniel. Paul and, oh. oh was it oh, oh well yeah paul i think Pollen talks about it in and Daniel i think Pinchbeck. that uh pinchbeck talks about it about how aa was actually formed from this guy who realized his mind was blown open through yeah. psychedelics so this is the thing like right. like here we are given a uh, a category, a taxonomical framework of like what is a drug? So you have alcohol, you have tobacco, sugar. You have sh well, that's of course not in that arena right. by technical definition, but yeah, absolutely addictive and will kill you. Well, that sounds like Schedule One to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but then you have mushrooms, you have LSD, you have all this stuff. Here, this guy had this immense experience with psychedelics that set his mind free right. to go back and teach that alcohol, which is, so I produce alcohol and you, I drink alcohol. You bastard. I know. I'm a, I'm a. You're the antithesis of everything men's work is looking to. You know, I think about it. I, I do actually think about really? it. Really? No, of course I do. Huh. I mean. I thought you were just jaded to that. You don't really mean that. You're just saying that for the podcast. <laughs> that was no, the fact. I, I really do think about that. I mean, I have my own relationship with alcohol that is not entirely healthful or healthy. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is that for those who put all of this under one sort of umbrella of like, if you're a straight edger and you're like staying away from yeah. alcohol, tobacco and psychedelics, let me just say that when I grew up, there was the animal kingdom and there was the plant kingdom. And it had to be one or the other. It was binary. Mm. And now we live in a world where there's seven kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying that alcohol and tobacco and psychedelics, they only have in common with them as our government has suggested that they are under a common umbrella. Hmm. The actual application and efficacy of them hmm. is different. Right. Alcohol and tobacco are generally coping mechanisms. And I'm not saying that you can't use mushrooms or ecstasy as coping mechanisms. That's People do that as well. Mm -hmm. People use all kinds of things. People use exercise oh my God. as a coping mechanism. Or diet or sugar, as you said earlier. That's so like right. that, that's, that's a thing. I don't know that you could use alcohol 
or tobacco as a transformative mechanism. Oh my God, when you got back from this heroic dose, I remember what you said to me. You said, oh, it's gonna be a good while before I do something like that again. You know, if this was the same thing, you'd be like, right. fuck yeah, I'm doing it again, man. It's right. so amazing, I can't. This was not cocaine. <laughs> no. <laughs> and maybe, I, I don't even know, you know, I don't know, I've never done cocaine, so I can't speak to like its transformative potential, but. But yeah, this is clearly not the same thing. This is not It is a party not the drug. same thing. This is, and you can do it in low doses as a party drug. And if you want to do that, that's, that's fine. I'm not like. I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying that there's gold to be mined there. Right. I produce alcohol. I don't know if there's gold to be mined there. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. I think that I like alcohol. Yeah. It sets me in a state of ease. Sure. So there's something to that. But I don't know if you could call it anything other than a coping mechanism. Yeah. There's no consciousness altering. And that's the thing we haven't really talked about in this is like, is consciousness alteration hmm. is actually the ability to free yourself from the small mind to some sort of big mind. This is what I sought in religion. Right, right. This is what I still seek now is this desire to like be part of the bigger brain. And I won't, re I won't, I won't rehash evidence that I neither invented nor fully understand. But there are a lot of of scholars today who actually um, have begun to comb through the most ancient of world religions and are really demonstrating the presence of psychedelics as either yeah. the causatives of some of those first formative experiences, or or at least the prompting experiences along the way. And it's fascinating. I mean, we're talking. <laughs> Psychedelics in the Bible. I mean, this is crazy. Psychedelics in the Bible, psychedelics in the Veda. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it it, it is. It takes it takes some delving into. Yeah. But, but it's but but it is not like a. It's not like mysterious. It's really overt once you start to see the patterns. And I guess the reason why it actually is meaningful to me is because I do think that the human experience, whether we're talking at a tribal level or at societal levels, is to break free from these constraints of the mind that we put on each other, right? And we want to glimpse that big picture. We want to see the real real or what lies beneath. And I have a feeling that people have been using these tools for thousands of years to do that. Well, of course they have. I mean, we now know that. Oh, you mean my feeling is not just a feeling? Well, just that they've been doing it for thousands of years. I mean... This is not new science. Well, the thing is, is that there's no science around that. Right. So we're just now, literally in the last... Okay, so I've probably said this before, not on the podcast, but to you. One of the most amazing things about George Bush's presidency is that he authorized a something to the tune of like 10 million or 10 trillion or some big number of dollars per year to be used to uh, facilitate brain science. Mm -hmm. So starting yeah. with George W's presidency, mm -hmm. the, the, the level of brain science, it, I mean, you, 90s was the, the decade of the brain. 
Well, but beginning we're, of him. But we're not seeing that until recently. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know that the highest number of serotonin receptors was in the gut. Right. We didn't know that. We yeah. thought that the brain was the central place where all this stuff happened. Mm. Now we realize we have a second brain. It's in our gut. And it's bigger. <laughs> it's bigger. Yeah. It's a crazy thing, but this never would have happened without George W. signing in this thing into place to to research brain science. He's so good. He's so good. Such a, you know, I mean. I loved that guy, though. I gotta say. Well, I have, I have my own... Including the ass grabbing, can I just say? Oh, you mean no, no, no. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about W, not oh, not not. Uh, oh, I not, like him uh, too. Though. Not not senior. I think I could hang out with him, W. Not not because he like committed genocide and like initiated like wars that were unnecessary. I'm not not those. I just think he'd be a fun guy to hang out with at Wait, a bar. Wait, H W or W? Both of them. Well, I think that. I think that W was probably a sweet kid who was probably caught up in some things. I'm not. I'm not giving him a pass. Daddy That's, issues. Severe daddy issues. He probably could have, sh- probably could have, should have done some psilocybin. You know? Could you imagine him and Dick, him and Cheney? That's the thing. Those guys. Oh. Those are not. It was his fucking handler. Guys. Cheney was his handler. Well, there's Cheney. There's Cheney. There's Rove. There's Rumsfeld. Ra- Rumsfeld. I mean, like. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not trying to give a pass Sorry. to the guy. Like you know, uh, things happened, and you know. Uh, I realized that was so tangential. I'm. I'm all. glad I was not in that position to make those decisions. Um, but he certainly. I mean, certainly in, in in this era that we're in now, he comes off as a as truly a compassionate conservative. Yeah. Oh you know? my. A, a scholar and a gentleman. Uh no. <laughs> Wait, what? No, not a scholar. <laughs> Or a gentleman, really. <laughs> Probably not a sweet gentleman. Guy. A sweet, sweet guy. A sweet guy. He was a sweet kid who him did a lot Lara. of... Him and Lara. Who did a lot of uh, cocaine and... He did. In, in, um, Didn't crack open the mind quite like we would have hoped. I don't know if cocaine is, is the best for that. Again, though, it's set and setting. It's what it's you're hard after. to know. I mean, maybe cocaine could crack you open. Too but far. Too far. I think that relegating it for this podcast... <laughs> Specifically talking about psychedelics, MDMA, yeah, psilocybin, those are kind of the ones that are accessible. Yeah, um, we could talk about ibogaine or ayahuasca, but those are kind of a, th- those are a little bit of more of a like to, far leap. They're right. they're harder to DMT. access. DMT has some um, real substantial merit to it, but it sounds like a really painful process. I have not done it. Yeah. I, I have a, a couple of close friends who every time I see them, they're like, hey, can you do a guided journey with us? Can you either facilitate it or or get us some DM? It's really interesting. They've actually had it. They had a, a shaman, a communal shamanistic guided experience with DMT. It was very short because I think it only lasts like 15 eight, minutes. Yeah. I, yeah. And uh, they said it was the most powerful and beautiful experience of their life. Um Actually, I'm, I'm having them on the podcast fairly soon, but really interesting stuff. Uh, so I think one thing just to like, a, a, as you say that, one, one thing to like make sure the listeners know, like this is stuff that has grown naturally. Right. So uh, maybe MDMA aside, I'm not, I'm not as well versed in that, but like psychedelic mushrooms, there is, if, if, if you're interested in this, 
you can go back and read about how psychedelic mushrooms might have been a transformation from Homo sapien to Homo sapien sapien. I mean, there's yeah. there, the, stoned ape theory. Stoned right? ape theory. There's there's shit out there that like could blow your mind. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. It's it's, it's, just it's certainly theory. interesting theory. But this is stuff that was on Earth, right? Um, Although this, there's even some thought that that it is actually extraterrestrial well, there's, in origin. There's 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 that idea too that an asteroid collided with our earth right and uh essentially populated it with uh uh uh, uh mycelium yeah. mushrooms before the humans originated and i mean there's there's because it's so substantially different what's that uh a mycelium uh the mushroom the fungus then then animals and 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 plants. oh yeah i mean it's it's uh I mean, this is, again, goes back to my whole, like, I grew up with animal and plantae as the two mm -hmm. kingdoms, and now, like, mushrooms is its own kingdom. I mean, this is, like, and this is what I love about good science, is that it is, is that it can evolve. Mm. Bad science is, like, bad religion in that it is dogmatic. And I feel like the people who are you know, attempting to silence these voices around mushrooms is a scientific community that sounds as dogmatic as a religious community. That's right. It's a crossing of metaphors that's really problematic. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess I am thinking of, of our listenership and... And again, I'm thinking of people, particularly men on this journey, and they're trying to figure out what's up and what's down. And and I know there's such an emphasis on strength culture. There's such an emphasis on, um, on the will to power. Again, not wanting to have any crutches. This is not a crutch. We're not talking about something easy here. We're not talking about something that is effectively... Um, gonna short circuit and and help you get there tomorrow this is a powerful pathway towards transformation that takes effort discipline a tremendous amount of courage a tremendous amount um of of mental toughness that also resilience. helps resiliency that helps you access what lies beneath yeah it is it is more profound i can honestly say and just having talked to various people who have taken this journey than, than oftentimes the experience of just your average form of therapy. Sure. We're talking about something that is genuinely a transformative um, and, and, and mythic experience in the sense it brings you in contact with the great archetypes of the universe. Totally. Yeah. But it requires that will. It does. And it requires a first step. Um, so, hey, um, I actually think we should, we should stop here. Um, there's so many different places I want to go. Um, you've got a, a kind of a cool communal experience coming up uh, in not too long. You're actually going to do a bit of a, of a journey of, of this vein with some some of our other close friends. And I'm excited yeah. to hear how that goes. We're going to go to the desert and um, do another two-gram dose. Very Jim Morrison of you. Very The Doors, man. Maybe we should play that. Because oh I, I would imagine that we're going to be out of service while we're out there. So maybe we should download a bunch of doors. People are strange when you're strange. I don't think I want to listen to that. That's <laughs> oh, not. Keep that, that off that, the playlist. 
You know what was crazy uh, is the last trip that we did, this Damien Gerardo record. Oh. Uh, I can't remember what the name of it was, but uh, it was the only album that I had downloaded to my phone. <laughs> is was, it, was it dark? Because he has no, some dark records. it was beautiful. Oh, good. It was like exactly what the universe wanted us to hear. I know that can sound foo-foo, but it was magical. Man, thanks so much for being on the podcast. and, and Thanks bringing, for having me, man. Yeah, bringing this really interesting stuff to us. and There's some cool shit out there. There's, it, I really do think that in the next 10, 20 years, we're going to see a lot of this stuff become more integrated into society. Hmm. Now, there's an entire possibility that there's going to be a, a huge backlash. Sure. But I think that the world... I, I think that the world as evolution goes is moving towards something else. Is is moving toward a leap in consciousness. Yeah. I don't mean a new agey sense. I mean like a true general will powered consciousness. If we don't, we're sunk. If we don't, we're sunk. And we could be sunk for a hundred years. Yeah. That's happened before. Sure. And that could be like what happened in the 70s. And it could reignite now. Mm. Or it could be stifled again. Yeah. But I think this is where we're going. And I think these plant medicines, we, we've not understood our relationship with the other natural elements very well in the last 500 years. This is really bringing us back into relationship with, with ecology, with our with place ecology. in yeah. this world. Yeah. Ryan... All right. Uh, thanks for being with us, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Tits. Cheers. Cheers.